Good morning. It's good to see everybody here on this cool, crisp Sunday that uh, is a special Sunday for us, <clears throat> as Matt said, because it represents seven years, seven years of God's faithfulness to us. <clears throat> and as you know, when we have a fifth Sunday, those come around usually four times a year, we have this outdoor service, but today it was 25 degrees where I woke up. Uh, 6.30. So uh, it, it's getting warmer by the hour, but we figured it would be better to accommodate our families today. Uh, so we wanted to meet in, inside here. I want to start with a quote, and then we're going to jump into that passage that Matt read. <clears throat> here's, a, here's a quote that uh, it should have changed my life a long time ago, but it didn't. It was just a, a cool quote on a page. Here it is. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His willingness. Let me say that again. Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It's laying hold of His willingness. In other words, God is not stingy. God is not playing hard to get. Prayer is not this game that we play. We show God how faithful we are, how devoted we are, how obedient we are, how serious we are. And then finally, he begrudgingly gives us what we're asking for. That's not what prayer is. Jesus said, ask, seek, knock. Jesus said, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, it's not like this outrageous faith. It's faith the size of a mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, be moved into the sea, and it would obey. There's a place where I walk. I've told you this before. At Lake Beresford, that's my happy place. And uh, it used to be a quiet place, but man, it's not so quiet anymore. But I try, to, I try to find it when it's quiet, either in the mornings maybe, when it's not so busy or after work. And it has overhead power lines there. And when I am walking there on a quiet day, um, you, can, you can actually feel the electricity. I don't know if words will fail me to describe this, but if you've been around power lines and the transformers near, maybe you know what I'm talking about. The hair on my neck stands up. There's just positive charge in the air. You know what I mean? When it's really quiet, you can, you can actually hear the charge in those electrical lines. It's a little bit intimidating. I think, man, if I was a squirrel or a bird, I would not go anywhere near that. It's crackling, it's popping, and there's no animals around it. And that reminds me of prayer. I bet if it was dark, you could probably see the sparks flying back and forth. That reminds me of prayer, and here's why. There is power up there that's channeling back and forth. There's a charge. There's all this power that's up high that is just waiting to be channeled into homes where singles and where families need it to heat their water, cook their food, turn their electricity on. It's up there, it's high, and, and we need it and we're waiting on it. That reminds me of prayer. And, and let me say this, believing, believing that God is powerful is not really a chore for people. In fact, we're going through the book of Romans right now, and you know the, in chapter 1, you know what it says? about God's invisible attributes, it says they are clearly seen. It sounds like a, a contradiction. God's invisible attributes are clearly seeing, seen, being understood by the things that are made. It says this, ever since the creation of the world, uh, excuse me, namely his eternal power and divine nature. So as creatures made in God's image, we know that God exists, that he's eternal, and that he's powerful. We know those things. Nobody has to, we don't have to go to a, a seminary or a university to learn those. We know them. We suppress that truth sometimes, right? And cover it up with layers of disobedience and sin. 
but we know that God's powerful. So believing he's powerful, that's not the issue. Believing that God actually wants to use that power to bless people, that's hard for us to believe. In fact, a lot of people never believe that. They believe, you know, I'm just too bad for God to save. I'm, I'm not faithful enough. I'm not obedient enough. I'm not devoted enough. I'm not serious enough. So therefore, prayer is really intimidating to people because they have this idea that, okay, I have to... Maybe you've read a 500-page book on prayer, and it talked about the saints of old. I used to read books like that, and it would talk about people that wore the uh, floorboards out, uh, and there were tear stains in their hardwood floor because they would spend hours in prayer. Man, my, that's amazing, and that's, that's in, encouraging at some level to read that, that God would make those people so devoted, but on another level, it can be discouraging because you think, man, I goodness, I, I just don't know. I, I don't know if, if I'll ever be that devoted. I don't know if I'll ever be that serious. And so people are intimidated by, intimidated by prayer, and they leave it off. They don't do it. Um, so 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 16, we're not going to read all three of those. Matt read the, one of the most important parts. It's the story about a man named Asa. And uh, he was a king. He was a king in Judah. He was a king that reigned for 41 years. That's a long time. He reigned for 41 years, and his story is similar in a lot of the stories of the kings. He started out really good. He sought the Lord. He, he brought about spiritual reform, social reform, religious reform, uh, and then something happened, things changed, and he tanked. <laughs> he tanked at the very end of his life. In fact, this is a really sad story because for about 36 of 41 years, he was doing awesome, man. He was knocking it out of the park. The kingdom was at peace. The enemies were held at bay. People were, were seeking the Lord. And he was legit. He was tearing down high places. He was tearing down things that dishonored God and that jeopardized the spiritual health of his kingdom. He was tearing all those things down. He was praying. He was trusting God. He was an amazing leader. He was a great king. But something happened near the very end of his reign. And it turned out to be near the very end of his life. And he stopped seeking God. And God's power supply got shut off. And things tanked after that. So I wanted to read something that happened in his life early on, though, when he was trusting God. Uh, I'm going to pick up in verse 8. Matt read to, to verse 7. And hopefully you heard when Matt read that, that passage that Asa was a king and he was a, a man who sought the Lord. He sought the Lord. He brought about religious reform. And he commanded all of Judah with him to seek the Lord. That was like their spiritual motif. It's like, hey, what's the kingdom of Judah doing this year? We're seeking the Lord. They were seeking the Lord together. They were praying. And then came, there came an unprovoked test. Check, check this out. So Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah. That's a pretty good army, isn't it? If we had a church that had 300,000 people, it'd be big, man. I don't know of any stadium that could contain. But think of, think of 300,000 It says mighty men of valor. So soldiers that were skilled, man, that could with a broadsword, could do things you didn't want done to you, okay? 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. All these were mighty men of valor. So over half a million soldiers that could have shields, spears, bows and arrows. You didn't want to mess with these people. And then this is what comes next. Check this out. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men. Are you hearing the number thing yet? How many people did Asa have? Half a million. How many did Zerah have? A million. 
and 300 chariots. Oh, they have horses too. And chariots and iron and technology. And they're advanced. Egypt was a world empire. They were far superior, humanly speaking, in their military craft than Israel was. And 300 chariots, and they came as far as Merashah. So they're pushing the boundaries here. They're tempting Judah. And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zapatha at Merasha. And Asa cried out to the Lord his God. Now check this out. For those of you that think that unless you pray for two hours, God's not going to hear you, I want you to hear this, okay? And by the way, I'm not making fun or diminishing at all devoted people who are able to pray like that. I stand in awe. I feel like a complete beginner when it comes to prayer sometimes. But I think that the enemy would want you to focus on long, complex prayers and miss the power and just firing up an SOS to God and saying, God, help me. Short, powerful prayers are the ones that stand out to me in the Bible. So check this out. If you want to start your watch and clock how long this prayer is, you can do that if you want to. Check this out. So Asa sees his half a million people, and he sees the Egyptians, and they're over a million and 300 chariots. And he looks up and he says, help. Here's what he says. Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. That's profound. Already what he said, God, you're awesome. We're weak. They're mighty. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name, we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. Amen. That was it. I know the Old Testament's long and, and the stories are complex sometimes. Do you guys remember what happened at this battle? Can you guess? What do you think happened? You think God was like, dude, that's 30 seconds. I'm sorry. I need a little more devotion here. Check this out. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Don't you love that, man? I just love that. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. See, Asa never believed that was his army. He believed it was the Lord's army. And I think there's some parallels with churches too. I think a lot of pastors start out seeing God Almighty, seeing God do the impossible, seeing God move mountains and overcome obstacles and grow a church. And then time goes by, maybe, I don't know, seven years, and we start to see success, and we start to see God's faithfulness, and we get confused. We think that those signs of success are signs of our devotion instead of marks of God's faithfulness, and things change, and our reliance weakens, and our dependence on God softens, and then bad things start to happen. That's what happened with Asus. He started out great. God proved his power to him, and then another test came about 36 years later. I'm going to read about that, okay? This is the, the last season of his life, and unfortunately, it's the one that everybody usually remembers Asa by. He didn't start out this way, but he ended this way. So check this out. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might permit no one to go out or come into Asa, king of Judah. Now, this may sound confusing. You're like, well, this is Israel. Yeah, but Israel, Israel was the northern kingdom. Judah was the southern kingdom, and they weren't friendly toward one another. And Judah had the capital of Jerusalem. That was the true king at the time, okay? 
And the king of Israel was, was wicked at this time, and he was trying to defeat God's people. So, so he went up to build, and he's like, nobody's coming up to Asa's kingdom. Nobody's going out. I'm going to declare war on him. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasures of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending to you silver and gold. Go and break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, so that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to King Asa and sent the commanders of the armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard of it, he stopped building Ramah and let his work cease. Then King Asa took all of Judah, and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, which Basha had been building with, and with them he built Gabah and Mizpah. Now, let me translate all this. Here's what happened. Asa, instead of seeking the Lord like he had always done, he, he saw Benadad, king of Syria, and he's like, he's powerful, he's mighty, he could really help me, so I'm going to strike up a covenant with him. And he forgot about his covenant with Yahweh, and, it's, and it sounds like he did, the God, it worked. You know, sometimes when you rely on your flesh, it seems to work. We get pragmatic and we think that wasn't so bad. Lightning didn't strike, everything worked out good. But then comes verse 7, check this out. At that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. And then this verse. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to give strong support to those whose heart is whole or blameless. It's, it means undivided toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. And the rest of Asa's reign and his son after, after him was characterized by wars, which was just a sign of Asa's heart, what had happened. It was distracted. It was divided. It wasn't whole anymore. There was war within his heart, and so there was war outside of him. That was just a signpost that the prophet was bringing him to say, you're divided. What happened? You used to be loyal to Jehovah. You used to be seeking him and trusting him and in covenant with him. And now you're reaching out to people for help. What happened? He started good, he faltered, and then he tanked. And so often that happens with us, and so often that happens with churches. And so I thought what I would do today, and the short sermon today, okay? Shortest one of the year. I, would, I want to remind us, I do not want this church to end up like Asa's reign. I don't want us to start out strong, start out a covenant with God, seeing God do amazing things. God has done some amazing things. The fact that we're still here seven years later, is I, I want you to wrap your mind around how amazing that is. And it's got absolutely nothing to do with any person in this room. We are just, we are just servants, man. That's all we are. I read when we planted this church, I did some research, and it scared me to death. The high rate of failure for church plants. I'm not even going to tell you what the percentage was, but I had to wrestle with God in prayer before I even agreed. There was a family that came and had lunch with me, and they said, we're interested in planting a church in the Orange City area. Uh, are you interested? And I said, 
No. No, not interested. I can't. I'm not a church planner, man. I'm barely a pastor. I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And they say, well, we, we, believe, we believe God wants you to partner with us and plant this church. Will you pray about it? That's one of the most dangerous things you can do, isn't it? <laughs> and amazing things you could do. And I did. And I came back and I said, you know what? I will. I'll agree to plant this church with you if you let me get a co-pastor. And they're like, no, no, we're not doing that. I said, well, pray about it. <laughs> and they did. They prayed about it. And those of you that have been here long term, you remember Jeff Eckert and I co-pastored this church for the first three years. We planted it together. We didn't know if it would survive past the three-year mark. And here was the first big prayer we asked God to do. We said, Lord, will you please sustain us through the first three years? Because most church plants fail within the first three years. Will you make us autonomous? And all that means is self-supporting. We had to depend on major outside help when we planted this church. And lo and behold, we made it to 2018, and we were self-supporting. In fact, we were so self-supporting that we sent out a full-time missionary to Ireland, Patty Parks. You heard her give an update last week. She's at our sister church, Grace Life Beachside, that we helped plant this morning, giving them an update. Uh, that's something else we did in year three. We decided to send the co-pastor, Jeff Eckert, to a church that was struggling and basically dying. They needed help. They wanted fresh blood pumped in there. And so Jeff went there and he took five families. And by the way, that's ill-advisable for any church plant that's just getting their feet underneath them. Hey, I got an idea. Why don't we take five faithful families and half the pastoral staff and send them 45 minutes down the road? But we believe God led us to do that. We did that with God's we felt like united as a church. We knew that was the right thing to do. Then we started a 501c3 counseling ministry, Melissa Affalter, Beholding and Becoming. Um, and that turned into her actually moving to uh, Ohio. Thank you. To Ohio, and she's joined a counseling ministry full time. They kind of stole her from us. That's, okay. That's all right. We're not bitter about it or anything. We love you, Melissa. We're thankful for you and what you're doing up there. But I thought, you know what I thought I would do? I thought that I would read... Some of, the, uh, some of the things that God has done for this church, big things that God gets all the glory for. And this is year seven. These are things God's done the last seven years for help in planting. That was a yes. God said, yes, I'll do that. Now, remember, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And what's God looking for? He's looking for people to show how powerful he is. God wants you to know and to see how powerful he is. And here's, what, here's how he wants to do it. He wants that power to come down to us and to be demonstrated in our life, to do things that were, would not be humanly explainable apart from the power of God. That's what that means. And that's what Asa, that's what he started out doing. To help us launch community groups with reliable leadership. We started out with one community group in Ormond Beach which was weird because we were in Deltona and we had a group in Orange. And then we, then we started a group in Deltona and then we started a third group and then a fourth group. And now we have five community groups all under amazing leadership. And then uh, we, we were not functioning as a, a New Testament model church. We had a board of directors, uh, which was great when we started out. It, it, it accomplished what we needed it to accomplish. But the New Testament talks about men who are called elders that lead and there's a plurality of those men, not just one at the top of this pier calling all the shots. And so we prayed, God, will you please help us find men who are qualified and can come alongside our, our pastor and, and help lead. And so we did. That, that first year, 
we uh, ordained Steve Ekman and a man who's no longer here. His name's Joe Nugent. And then Joe had to leave, and then we ordained Cliff Patterson. And then recently we have ordained two other men, Mike Priest uh, and Bill Roth. So now we have five elders who are leading this church, and we believe this is what the New Testament teaches. This is God's model. We wanted to do this God's way, not our way. You know, human wisdom says have a CEO model, have a business model set up where you're pragmatic, and the Bible says, no, that's, that's the world's way of doing things. This is God's way of doing things. We wanted to do it God's way. We wanted God to help us to get organized and not fly the, by the seat of our pants, and we knew we needed to hire somebody to help us stay organized, and so we hired Diane Hendricks. She was then our director of ministries, and uh, man, I cannot tell you... Uh, what a gift she was and is, how God sent her and Chris to, to be a part of our church. He helps uh, with the worship team, and I was, you know, we just couldn't do it. We couldn't do all the things that, that, that God has used Diane to do in our church, and uh, in fact, I would say the, the point that, that I was the closest to saying, I can't do this, my family can't do this anymore, we have six children, we're losing our ever-loving minds, was right about the point I was really desperate. God said, here you go, here's Diane. Uh, and then we were praying for God to give us a, uh, a part-time director of children. And we had been through several of those. Uh, Patty was, was our first, and she went to Ireland. Uh, and then Sarah Smith, and then Christy Roth. Um, and we needed somebody that we could pay to do it part-time. What's that? Michelle and Bobby, yes. Um, and, and finally, God gave us Courtney. Where are you at, Courtney? She's over there with some children. Thank you. Yeah, praise God for that. So those, those may sound like small things, but they were huge, huge, huge things to help our church. You know, the trellis and the vine, you can get this vine that grows and bears fruit, but if it's wild and it's not structured and it doesn't, it's not organized, you're going to squash all the grapes and everything, right? So, uh, so anyway, that, that, those are just a few of the things. There's, there's other things that God is helping us do. The first Sunday that we had a service, we had 118 people. And now God has given us a, an average weekly attendance is around 120. So I thank, I thank God for that. Numbers aren't everything. We don't trust in numbers. They may come and go. Um, but this is a family now. God's giving us a, a family. And we want... This church at our seven-year mark, we, I, I really believe this. I believe we are just getting started. One of the other things we, well, we were able to, uh, to do with God's help was hire a full-time discipleship pastor, Matthew Carr. It's a huge answer to prayer, yes. And he started a student ministry, and we've had almost 20 kids that showed up both times. Not kids, students. Sorry, guys. I call you kids. Um, and Megan, that's right. And Thank you. I've got all this down. I'm just going off my notes here. Uh, Megan, Director of Communications, and she helps, uh, helped us to get online and, and set up some of our website and update things, and she maintains our social media sites. And then three worship leaders. We had one worship leader in the very beginning, Zach Epps, and he lives in Georgia now. And then John Horton, uh, and, and now we have three, and they're doing amazing. TJ and Kyle um, and Vitaly, and there's even other people that help lead worship, and I'm going to forget a bunch of people here, but... Um, we're just thankful. I'm not here to, to just thank people, but God uses people. He uses weak people like us, flawed people like us. But listen, God's eyes roam to and fro. And you know what he's looking for? He's looking for people that are looking to him. That's what he's looking for. That word whose hearts are loyal toward him, 
it, it simply means this. It means undivided. It's the same word that was used when Solomon built a house and the rocks that were brought from the quarry, that's the same word used to describe them. They weren't divided. No axe or hammer or tool of iron had touched them. They were whole. God doesn't want half of an eye on him and the other half on human ingenuity and wisdom. He wants both eyes on him. His eyes are looking for us, and he wants to find our eyes saying, Lord, help. So here, here's, here's the, uh, the application from this sermon today. We are at year seven, and there seems to be peace on every side, right? Kind of like where Asa was at, well into his kingdom. But I believe the greatest work and the greatest success is still ahead of us. I really do believe that. I believe God is really mobilizing us now, structuring us, getting us more organized so that we can continue to be the insiders for the outsiders and reach people who are broken and desperate and desperately need Jesus Christ to save them from their sins. He wants to use this church to reach those people, to reach those students, to reach those people in your family, to reach those people in your neighborhood, at your school, at your job. God wants to use you to do that. He's looking for people. The people he wants to use are the people that know they're desperate. Do we still know we're desperate? Are we desperate? We're so desperate, <laughs> aren't we? We're desperate for him. That's what we need. Our eyes have got to stay on the Lord. So here is what our elders have been praying about. We wanted to, to help this church body to be organized this year and united in praying about the same things. So there's some radio stations around here locally, and about every half hour they'll say, and now the three big things you need to know. Um, rarely are those things you need to know, by the way just make you anxious most of the time. But here are three things we want you to pray for with us, okay? Are you ready for this? Three big things. Here they are. Let me read them to you here. I got a magnet somewhere up here. Here, here it is, okay. Gospel conversations. You know God uses words to reach people with the good news? You can't, people don't come into the kingdom by osmosis. You just can't get close to somebody and be a good friend to them, and then ta-da, they're in the kingdom. They've got to hear the gospel. They've got to hear good news. That takes words. There was an old quote that said, preach the gospel at all times, use words when necessary. I know what that means. It's saying, let your life and your deeds line up with the message you proclaim. But it's kind of a silly quote because you can't preach the gospel without words. That'd be like saying, do arithmetic. Use numbers when necessary, you know? You've got you've to use words to, to share what God did for you. And it doesn't have to be this amazing 50-minute uh, testimony. It can be, hey, I was blind, like the guy in John 9. They kept saying, what happened? He said, I don't know. I was blind. This guy named Jesus came, and now I see. Go ask him. It got him kicked out of the synagogue, right? We're praying that God will embolden us and will fill us with his spirit and will give us the courage and the faithfulness we need to share a good word about Jesus with the people in our life that he's put there. Meaning your neighbor, not just the neighbor who lives next to you on your street. The word neighbor is a lot more comprehensive than that in the Bible. Your neighbor could be the lost family member living under your roof with you, a lost parent. Or you could be single, and, and your neighbor is just that unbelieving friend that you work with. God put you in their life. That's your steward, stewardship that God gave to you. Um, so we're praying for gospel conversations. That means your personal witness. We're praying for the next generation. That means we are praying for the students. 
for the students, and they're not future leaders. They're leaders right here, right now in the church. And we are praying, and, and Matt coming on staff is half of an answer to that prayer. The other half is that God would build these students up and, and fill them with, with the gospel, fill them with his spirit, give them the courage and faith they're going to need to reach the people of their generation. So the next generation, that's student ministry. And the third thing is our own location. I love this school, and I'm so thankful for the leadership of this school that they have. And in a lot of ways, they've partnered with us. They've accommodated us. They've let us meet here. They've let us make weird requests like, hey, can we meet in the cafeteria, and will you turn the heater on three hours early for us? Hey, will you open that water closet and let us fill up this big horse trough? we got to baptize some people. They're like, okay, whatever you need. Most schools will not do that. And, I, and I'll say this, and that's okay. I'm saying, it, I'm saying it out here online. We're the wrong leadership to be at this school at any given minute. They could say, you know what? I heard that sermon you preached last week. That's not our value. You're out. You guys realize that could happen on any given Sunday. Don't say, oh, don't say that. Well, that's not going to make it happen. God's in charge of all that. But you know what, you know what that makes us want to do? Pray for a building that's zoned for worship, that we're legit and legal, and that we can gather in it, and it's our building, it's our place. We don't have to show up two hours early and set things up. We don't have to stay 30 minutes late and put things away. We leave things the way they are, the way we want. It's our house. If we want to leave it messy, we leave it messy, right? I want that, don't you? Because right now we got to clean up and take care of the school, and that's good. We're, we're, we're happy to do that, but, but plus we have to pay money to rent here. I'm not going to tell you how much money we have to pay to rent here. You'd scratch your head and think, we would love for that to be put toward a building, mortgage payment. I'd love for God to get a, give us a building and us be in there debt-free. He can. Remember the power lines? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking to show himself powerful on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal, whole, undivided toward him. Do you believe God could give us a building if he wanted to? And it wouldn't take any effort. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke it, and Saturn hung up there, and all these stars and these billions of galaxies, they can't even find them. They know they're out there more than they ever realized, trillions of galaxies. God can give us a building. <laughs> God can give me an obedient son if he wanted to as well. <laughs> he can. God can do that, and that's what we're doing. This year, we're praying for those three things, our own location, gospel conversation, the next generation. So we want you to join us. And here's what we're going to do. We have uh, these magnets that Diane prepared for us. These go on your fridge. Take a magnet. Every household, take a free magnet back there when you leave. Slap this. Oh, that's not metal. <laughs> Slap this. Slap this on your fridge, and when you walk by it, you don't have to spend an hour. What I'm telling you is I think we make prayer much more complex than it has to be. Some of the shortest prayers in the Bible, Moses, show me your glory. God did. Thief on the cross, remember me when you come into your kingdom. God did. The Father in Mark 14, I believe, help my unbelief. God said, that's good enough. I'll accept that. You walk by your fridge, see this magnet, and say, Lord, you're powerful. You're amazing. We need your strength. We need our own building. Will you please raise up, continue to raise up student leaders? Will you please give us the courage and the faith we need to share the good news? And then do it again when you walk by the refrigerator. God hears. God hears. God Amen. Well, guys, look, that's kind of a clumsy sermon today, but that's what I wanted to communicate, okay? We're in year seven, and by God's grace, we'll be here many, many, many more years. 
and we'll grow deeper and we'll grow wider and we'll be able to connect with people who are broken and desperately need Jesus and we will see God's power that we're desperate for, we'll see that as the answer to any good thing we ever do will be because of God, not because of us. He'll get the glory. As long as he's getting the glory, God's interested in helping us. The second we take our eyes off of him and say, man, we're pretty amazing, aren't we? Grace life is pretty awesome. God's done. He's not interested anymore. He'll send a prophet to us and say, because you relied on human help and not the Lord, therefore, now you're going to have war on every side. I don't want that. I want to have peace. And that's, we, want the, we want to have the same things God wants. Well, so that's the sermon. The sermon's finished, Okay. So I'm going to pray in a minute, but as you know, fifth Sunday is also a time when we welcome new members, and we've got two families, four people that are joining our church today, and I'm going to introduce them in a minute, and then the most exciting thing is we're going to celebrate new life, because fifth Sunday is also the day that we conduct baptisms, and uh, you know, I was reading in Luke 15, and Jesus was telling a story about things that were lost and found, and the point of the story was this, he says, I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 sinners who need no, uh, 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So when we baptize, man, that's a party. Heaven, you know, God said in your prayers, uh, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When sinners get converted, heaven's dancing. And so we need to dance too, even though it's, it's pretty cold out there. <laughs> we heated up the water. Uh, so we're going to dance in a minute. But here's the other gift we have for you. A lot of you have asked, I cannot get this magnet off of this. There we go. A lot of you have been asking for these, and Megan hooked us up. She found these uh, Grace Life stickers. They have our cool logo on them, and they have the website, gracelifeflorida.com. And so per household, get one of these. We've got 100 of these. They're free. For every household, take one. And if we still have some, every vehicle, take one. And if we still have some, we'll give you extra. Now, i got to warn you, if you're driving around... And you got this on your bumper sticker, drive right, okay? We were, we were going to get one of these that said, how am I driving? I go to Grace Life, call my pastor. <laughs> um, but we're not going to do that. The, the, you're always an ambassador, you know that, I don't have to tell you that. Have you seen church stickers before and the person's going 90 miles an hour and they're like waving at people and funny gestures and, and whatnot and then you see a church sticker and you're like, mm-hmm. So anyway... You're an ambassador of the Lord, and you're an ambassador of this church, too. So, uh, name tags? Yes, 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 I'm sorry. Ambassadors. An ambassador is anyone that serves at this church. We have about 80. And Diane has also made new magnetic ambassador name tags for you. And each, each, of, these, each of these prayer focuses has its own logo, has its own symbol. And each ambassador name tag has one of those symbols, just one to provoke to provoke conversations with people like, oh, what's that? What's that mean? You can say, oh, that's what we're praying about this year. And you can share with them what God's doing, what he's laying on our heart. And it's also to remind you when you put that name tag on, be praying that morning when you serve. Be praying about these things. So we got ambassador name tags. We're going to leave those here because we found when you take your name tags home, they stay at home or they go through the washing machine. We got some nice metal uh, Klingons, not like the Star Trek kind, but the that Diane's prepared for. So, ambassadors, you can check out your name tag. Leave them there. Next week, you can put them on when you serve. Take one of these magnetic things home for your refrigerator. Take one of these bumper stickers. Put it on your car. And uh, 
Can the baptism candidates be getting ready to be baptized outside? And I'm going to ask the new members to make your way up here. The Wynn family and the Garrison family. All right. So, there's Adam. Hey, can we turn this microphone on? Will that work? All right. That didn't sound good. There. All right. So what I'm going to do is just ask them to share their name and uh, where they live how long they've been coming to Grace Life, and anything else interesting about themselves. Just your name, how long you've been coming here, where you live, and something you want the people of Grace Life to know about you that they may not know. Uh, my name is Michelle Wynn, and we've been here at Grace Life for a year and a half, maybe? Longer than that? Okay. Diane says longer than that, so. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess it was, because I remember it being five years. It was Grace Life's five-year anniversary when we first came, I think. Um, so it's been two years. Yeah. Anyway. Something interesting about yourself. Oh, oh we live in Paisley, um, in the boondocks. And I work at Blake Christian Academy. And my name's Adam. I'm Michelle's husband. Yeah, I live in the same place. <laughs> Well, it is a joy to have you guys join our church, and this is the Garrison. Yeah, we'll we'll applaud and all that in just a second. This this is the Garrison family, and uh, state your name, how long you've been attending here, where you live, and maybe something interesting. Hi, I'm Mike. It's my wife June. We've been here. Yeah, we've been here five months. Yeah, and uh, we moved down from uh, New York State then. We inherited a house here, so I like it. <laughs> and uh, originally, we were looking for started looking for a church online. I heard Tommy online. I said, "Oh, that's where I'm going." <laughs> Hi, I'm June, and um, thing I think it's interesting is I have 21 grandkids and um, 14 great grandbabies. <laughs> wow. Lord has shown his fruitfulness. All right. Well, let's pray. <laughs> let's pray. And uh, Matt is going to uh, meet us outside at the baptistry. And we're going to celebrate some baptisms today. Let's pray. We'll go out there. Uh, then we'll come back in and we'll, we'll have lunch together over here. We'll be served. Um, Let's do that. Lord, thank you so much for these reminders about your power, your love, your faithfulness. We know that the only reason that we can come into your presence in prayer is because of the blood of Jesus, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and that we come to a throne of grace, not a throne of judgment. That throne has been emptied because Jesus Christ has taken the punishment that we all deserve. He has stood in, in, in the place of the sinner, Lord, and, and taken the judgment of God on our behalf. 
And we are thankful, Lord, that now we are most welcome in your presence. We can come with boldness and with confidence, knowing that we are going to receive help in our time of need. So, Lord, we come to you now asking you, will you please give all of us the courage and the faith that we need to be your ambassadors, to share a good word of the gospel with with whatever neighbors you have put into our life. We also ask you, Lord, to please grant us a building, God. We, we need our own space for there's not restrictions and barriers and, and uh, threats that, that jeopardize our freedoms. Uh, I pray that you own the cattle on a, on a thousand hills and surely there's a building somewhere in Volusia County, close to where we gather now, that, that we could call our own. And uh, Lord, I pray also for this student ministry and for Matt's leadership and for you to continue to reach young people for Christ and, and build them up, Lord, and, and, and turn them loose here in, in this city where they're needed. And we thank you for these who have given their life to Jesus. We thank you for these families who have joined this church. Pray your protection over them. We pray you would help them to find their spiritual gifts and how to use that to serve the body of Christ. And we ask all these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. One other thing before we go, uh, we've put together some, some guides to help you. If you, just, if you just are curious, like, you know, how do we pray for these things? We have, we have put together just some pattern. You know, Jesus gave a, a model prayer for the disciples when they said, how do you pray? Teach us to pray. And he gave them a model prayer. Um, and we've tried to give you kind of a model prayer, how to pray for a building, how to pray for empowered gospel witness, how to pray for students. And, and you're going to find that. That's on our website, Megan, right? On the app, uh, you can just click on that app, and it will guide you through that so you can see those. And I think that's everything, right? Have I covered it all? Okay. We're going to have two lines. Y'all remember that? It makes the, the food go a lot faster, the service go a lot faster. When we come back in after the baptisms, there's going to be two lines over there that you can be served, Okay. And uh, I think that's it. Let's head out. Yeah. Can we pray for Mike? For Mike. Oh, absolutely. He's here. He's cooking. Oh, he is? He is, yes. For those of you that don't know, Michael Wyckoff uh, was in a wreck the other day. Um, got a concussion. God protected him. He was slammed into by somebody that didn't see him. And, and uh, man, he's a tough cookie. <laughs> God's, God's got a lot more work for him to do. And a lot of that work's been here helping us. So he's, he's out there cooking. I want to pray for him. Thank you for reminding me of that, that God would bring full healing. Um, Lord, I pray for Mike. Thank you that you spared his life. And uh, thank you that you spared the life of the gentleman that hit him and that he was able to, to, share, to share the gospel with that man that hit him. Lord, there was no animosity or anger or resentment. And uh, I pray that he would completely heal. There wouldn't be any adverse side effects to that collision. He could get his car fixed, Lord, and, and we give you thanks for that. And we thank you for this meal that we're about to partake. We want to pray for the food and the blessing and those that prepared it. And thank you for the baptisms we're about to celebrate. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, head outside. You can get your uh, magnets now or you can get them later. <laughs>